God, we want to thank you for grace and mercy. We want to thank you just for the for church, for, for, for people coming together and worshiping you, coming together in a sense of community. I just want to thank you for that, God. There's, there's so many lonely people in this world, Lord, and you have blessed us with the community. But God, I pray that it just doesn't end there, that we would, that we would venture out and, and bring community to others. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that it would speak and resonate in our souls and in our hearts. These words in this book, they are, they are words of life. And so, God, I pray that they would breathe life into us this morning. Lord, and I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so before we got sidetracked with that whole six weeks of Lent thing, and then we got like the whole Easter celebration thing, we were actually working through the book of Galatians. And Galatians is the freedom book. I love the book of Galatians. It's just, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite. You know, you got, you know, contrasted to the book of James, which I call the book of spanking, because you read that book and it's just like you're getting spanked. Every, every word is just like, whack, oh, okay, God, okay. You know, and, but there's freedom in the book of Galatians. So I really, I, I like this book, this letter a lot. And it's so, since it was like over two months ago that we were uh, looking and exploring in this letter, I would need to recap where we left off back in February. And where we did, we left off in chapter 5. And so we started chapter 5 in the book of Galatians. And verse 1 in chapter 5 is probably one of my all-time favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because it says that for freedom, Christ has set us free. And we're to stand firm in that, that we are to stand firm in the freedom that has been given to us by Jesus. Because the work of being set free is all about Christ. We have been set free from the law. And, and Paul talks about the law and how we can't get right with God by following rules and regulations. And so we've also been set free from performing trying to get it right. We've been set free from uh, self-help and self-justification. We've been set free from trying to be perfect because of Jesus. We, for freedom, we have been set free and we're called to stand firm in that, that we would put our feet on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And then we kind of explore this idea about freedom in, in the cultural, in a, in a social context, and how we experience many, many freedoms in this country that the rest of the world just has no idea about. The rest of the world would love to experience even half of the freedoms that we have in our country. But yet sometimes we still kind of complain and we kind of whine about the things that we don't have and the things that we really want and the things that aren't going right. But, and we, and we, we failed to be thankful for what God has given us in this country. Like we deserve it. And then we had to move freedom into a spiritual context. We had to, we had to look at freedom from the perspective of Jesus, faith in the Bible. And we, and we, we landed on the first freedom constitution ever written. 
And it's not the Declaration of Independence. It's actually the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the first original freedom constitution because in those words, in those words, human dignity is preserved. In those words, the the truth of who God is is protected. In those words, the dignity of work is, is protected. Truth is protected in those words. Personal relationships are protected within those words. It's, it's, it's almost like that we cannot fully live free unless we have this foundational guideline from God we call the Ten Commandments. We always look and say, oh, Ten Commandments, you know, commands. How can commands be free? But they protect our freedoms. And without them, we can't live free. And I would argue to say that no wonder why so many Christians don't live in the freedom that has been given to us by Jesus because we can't even get, we can't even get the foundational ones right. So how much do we need our Savior? And then we kind of pressed into this idea out of chapter 5 that the real threat to our freedom that Christ has given us it's not, it's not politics. It's not extreme left, extreme right, somewhere in the middle. You broke it. Extreme left, extreme right, or somewhere in the middle. It's not, it's not other faiths that are uh, a threat to our freedom in Christ. It's not the atheists that it's, our, it's, that it's a threat. You know what it is? It, it comes from within. It comes from within the church. It comes from religion this man-made set of expectations that we put on ourselves and other people so that we can get right with God, so that we can be forgiven more, so that we can get God to love us better. It's like we really believe that we can add something to the work of Christ on the cross. And we use the analogy of walking up to the ocean with a cup of water, spilling it in, stepping back and going, look what I just did for the ocean. And being prideful. In that, we can't add anything to the cross of Christ. And so it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And this, this, takes, this takes it all out of our hands. This takes it out of, out of our trying to get it right. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so it must be protected. It must be practiced and talked about. We have to stand firm in that freedom. It's, this, it's one of the central messages of the gospel, freedom in Christ. It's nothing that can just be, just be uh, thought about willy-nilly. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And as Paul got through the first 12 verses of chapter 5, he's talking about you know, circumcision and, and, and how the Galatians, they want to go back into the law. And he says, man, if you just follow all those rules again, Christ is worthless to you. But then he has to move the whole, the whole uh, force of his letter. He moves it into a different direction because he has to begin to address some of the things that are taking place in the church. And so he'll go here. He said, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Brothers, sisters, you have been called to freedom. That's, that's good news. I know it's a little warm in here and you're starting to melt a little bit and you get people in the back, your eyes are starting to close. That's okay because you're free to do that. We'll deal with you later. But right now, you are free to do that. My brothers and sisters, you have been called to freedom. That's a pretty weighty statement because it completely removes us from the equation of getting free. We don't get the credit for it. Jesus gets the credit for it. We can't say, look at what I did, because you didn't do anything. Christ has done it. You have been called by God through Jesus to freedom. You know, if we can't save ourselves, if we can't justify ourselves, I don't believe there's anything that's worthwhile called self-help. I think it's a marketing ploy that made Oprah a lot of money. Then surely we cannot free ourselves. Freedom, in essence, is it's about new life. And that new life is only found in Christ, in Christ alone. We have been called to Jesus as the foundation of our freedom. And so you can be free from anxious thoughts, from addiction, from anger, Because the freedom isn't found within you. The freedom is found at the cross. You can be healed from the brokenness that life may have thrown at you. Because that that healing, I mean the healing that goes deep down into your very soul doesn't come from you. It comes from the cross of Christ. You have been set free. And your freedom is found in the cross. Through God. Through Jesus. Because of God. You could be done with the old junk of your life and move into something that's amazing, something that's, that's, that has these deep breaths of freedom, passion, of release. It's an amazing place. You can actually have inner peace. Yes, you can have inner peace, a place where, it's, it's a place where grace becomes more than just a word that we use on Sunday morning, but grace becomes a way of life because you've received it and now you're living it and you're giving it away. And But Paul wants wants us to know something that's very important about this idea of freedom. As amazing as it is, as awesome as it is to live this life of freedom, it can be very dangerous. Freedom can be a very dangerous thing in the lives of people and in the lives of Christians. There are things that we can partake in in this idea of freedom that can kill us. Whether it be physically or spiritually. You see, though freedom is essential, it's also dangerous. And I'll tell you what, a free person can also be dangerous. And so, you know, think about it. In our culture, we have... We have laws, right? And these laws actually protect our freedom just like the Ten Commandments would protect our freedom. All right? And some of you need to start following some of those laws because we have 
radar traps on this road and you will get a ticket. I know you drive way too fast down here. Just letting you know. And so we have these laws that protect us. But now Paul is getting back into this whole idea of law again. And didn't he just say that, that, that we're not under the law anymore? We're not, we, we don't have to follow the law. Aren't we free from religious coercion? Aren't we free from moral deism? Aren't we free from perfectionism? Yes, you are free. You have been set free. But there's dangers that can creep in on you in that freedom. And but, but here's the thing. You can't reel it in. You can't just be a little bit free. You have been set free. Freedom is, whoa, you're free. And you can't reel it in. You can't put limits on it. And so within the amazing beauty of it, we have to live in the risks of it. And Paul wants us to know just how important it is. And he says this. Do not, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And that's just not, you know, you, you want some stuff. It's just not just this physicalness. It's, it's really the, the complete depravity that we have uh, when, we, when we're apart from God's redeeming grace, when we're apart from the sanctifying work of Christ on the cross. That's what he's talking about. It's about the sin in our lives, those decisions that we make to walk away from the way God has called us to live in response to his grace and his mercy and his love. Do not use your freedom to indulge in your flesh. And so, Christian, you have been set free. Now what? Can I? Can't I? What can I do? What can I not do? I mean, do you just go run amok? Do you, do you just, you know, plunder and pillage anything you can? Do you join the cast of Jersey Shore now? Do you, just, do you just wallow in self-indulgence? Paul would say this in the Hebrew, oh, nay, nay. That's not what we're called to. For him, our freedom is never in question. It's never been in question. But see, I keep coming back to this idea that most Christians don't live freely. We don't understand it. And so by not understanding it, we don't live in it. See, it's not some kind of uh, ends to a means. Freedom is about a journey. Freedom is an opportunity, an opportunity to make choices, opportunities for movement, opportunities for decisions. Eugene Peterson would write this, that he says that freedom to the Christian is what wind is to a sailor. It makes the day worthwhile and exciting, but it also requires vigilant and alert decisions at the sail and the rudder. Freedom to the Christian is like wind to a sailor. And so in the church in Galatia and even in the church today, people don't understand what it means when we have been set free by Christ. Because they think that, well, we've been, we've, been, we've been set free because of grace and faith. And nothing that we did so that we can boast about it. It's, it's this free gift of God. We can't add anything to it. We can't take anything away from it. So I guess everything is okay. One philosopher would write, I like to sin. God likes to forgive. So it's all good. But if that's your mentality, if that's your thought process, you have missed the gospel, you have missed what Christ has come to do on this earth. When, when, when people get 
this taste of, I mean, if, if you watch the news and you watch all these small countries and these dictators and these oppressive governments, they fall. And people, people experience freedom in just a completely new way. They lose their minds. They almost don't know what to do with it. And, and you see almost anarchy break out. Lawlessness. Not always, but many times it happens. And it's the same way in our spiritual walk. When we have been set free, many people will go, well, I'm free, I'm forgiven, I can do and say whatever I want when I want. And that is not the message of the gospel. Because the gospel has a different way of dealing with the dangers of freedom. And Paul wants us to understand it. And he says this, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. To serve the brothers and the sisters as you were their slaves. This is not about, yo, get me a cup of coffee, slavery. No, no. This, this is about hum, uh, humility. To serve one another in love. And I find it a very interesting connection where he's talking about freedom and slavery. Because the way it's written here in the original language, he's talking about being a slave to the brothers and the sisters, that we would serve one another in love. See, you have been set free once and for all through the cross of Christ, but you are still not your own. The consequence of freedom, the consequence of freedom is that we are transformed and in that transformation, we serve each other in humility and love. You see, isolation is never an option. You don't live your faith. You don't live your freedom isolated. Love has to express itself or it's no longer love. And it's only, it's only, it's only love that can express freedom in a way that builds and doesn't destroy it's only love that can express freedom in a way that brings life instead of death. Paul says, don't use your freedom just to do whatever you want to do. But use it to serve one another in love. All right, I think we have to spend a few minutes talking about, or wrestling with this idea of, of love. Because definitely not an emotion. It's not, it doesn't describe the way you're feeling. It's not a tool or some type of system to get the things that you want to get out of life. It's not some abstract philosophy that we can just meditate on and get all fuzzy and warm and write Hallmark cards about. This is not the love that he's talking about. The love that he's talking about is a love that's about living in response to God, a love that's about living in response to God within relationships with other people. We are living in response to what God has done through Christ, what God has done in your life, what God has done in the lives of other people. And we, and we live that in response to what he's doing within relationships with each other. Brothers and sisters, love one another in all humility. And then he quotes Leviticus 19. It says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole thing comes down to that. The whole book, look, there's a lot of pages in there. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a New Testament idea. Leviticus 19, 18. Don't hold a grudge. Don't go after revenge. But love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is summed up right there in the law. And and it's it's not just about having a proper love for yourself so that you can love other people. I mean, that's, there's truth to that. You have to be, have a healthy love for yourself in order to love other people. But this is about loving your neighbors, loving the brothers and the sisters with a, a passionate, spontaneous cheerfulness, treating people like you would treat yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summed up right in those very words. And to love your neighbor less than you love yourself means that your neighbor becomes a means to your end. And to love your neighbor more than you love yourself means that you have be set yourself up to become someone else's means to an end. But to love your neighbor as yourself, there's a, there's a harmony in that. There's a rhythm found in that. That's why God has put it out there for us to live by. Now we have to continue to think that Paul is writing to a church here. Paul is writing to a group of people trying to figure this faith thing out, trying to follow Jesus. Paul is writing to a group of people that are having these external teachings coming in, telling them they have to, they should have, you need to do this, you need to do this. And he's saying, no, 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 he, he's talking to the church. And so it's important for us to understand the idea of what neighbor is here. We don't get to decide who is worthy of our neighbor status. Read the story in the New Testament about the Good Samaritan. Who is your neighbor? You don't get to to create some type of template. And if they fit into this template, oh, these people are my neighbor. They agree with me. They like me. They've got my back. I like them. They give me stuff. So that means they must be my neighbor. We don't get to decide within our human biases who is our neighbor. We are called to treat everyone we meet. Okay, just in case you didn't understand that, I'll say it again. We are called to treat everyone we meet as our neighbor. (gasps) Yes, even that person that irks you to no ends. That's your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we're called to treat people that way, how much more, how much more are we called to love the brothers and the sisters that share this faith journey with us? How much more are we called to love each other and to serve each other? See, love is not controlled by how you're feeling or how the relationship looks or who's giving you this or who's giving you that. Love is that whole uh, verb thing. I almost forgot what it was. It's not controlled by prejudice. It's not controlled by cultural or social customs. It's not controlled by the way you're feeling. Love, freedom, means that we are free to love people who may come against you in some way, whether it's here in the church or out there. Freedom 
to love people means that, that you can love somebody who may be, may be seen as insignificant or have nothing worthwhile to offer you at all. Because as you begin to love people in the freedom that's been given to you in Christ, guess what? You find that everyone is significant and everyone has worth in the eyes of God. Love is very freeing. You don't have to be afraid of people anymore. You can just pour yourselves into them and love them. You don't have to be afraid to be who you are. Because love casts out fear. And so you can be who, now don't take this as if you're a jerk, you can be a jerk. Okay, meet me in my office later, we'll talk about that. But you can be who God has created you to be. The entire law is summed up, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, church, here's where it gets interesting. But that is only possible when it finds its foundations, when it finds its beginnings in a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's only possible when the foundation of that love finds its beginning in a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so freedom expressed in love for each other. I'm going to read this because I want to get this right. Freedom expressed in love for each other is an expression of our love for God through Jesus. You tracking with that? Freedom expressed in love for each other is an expression of our love for God through Christ. Okay, but Dennis, work with me here. Are we under the law? Are we not under the law? Are we set free? The whole law is summed up by, uh, what's the story? Do we have freedom? Do we have to follow the law? Is loving our neighbor a law that we have to follow? Maybe maybe we can sum it up this way. Because of Christ, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I have been set free from the bondage that is the law. I have been set free from perfectionism, moral deism, all of those things that just kind of rail against my very heart and soul that tries to make me live up to a certain standard and expectation so that God would finally please love me. When I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ, I am no longer under all of that garbage. I've been set free from it. But, but, but here's the thing. See, God's law is still God's law. It doesn't go away. Jesus didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. And he came to fulfill it perfectly. And so it's still God's law. It's still his, his harmony for humanity. But it can all be summed up into loving him loving our neighbor as ourself. And so the entire law of God, the entire thing comes down to loving God and loving each other. Everything points in that direction. And so I can tell you as I stand here this morning, I am free from the law. And at the same time, I fulfill it in its entirety when I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't fulfill it by some just outward uh, actions, deeds. 
rule keeping. I fulfill it. I fulfill it because first I love God. And in that transformation that he has made in me, draws me to love people. It's a transformation that is taking part in each of us. Are you allowing the transformation to grow? It's not you transforming yourself. You can't do it. You can't read the book. There's no seven easy steps. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your very soul, beginning to transform you, falling in love with God. And in that transformation, in that love for God, the natural expression is to love each other. See, God gives us the exact thing he requires from us. And so that's why we have to answer a call and say, yes, God, and allow him to do the work that only he can do in us. You know, if we're biting and devouring each other, as Paul mentions here, then have we really been transformed by the Spirit? Have we really been transformed by the Spirit? And are we really living in the freedom that Christ has given us? And if we're not living in the freedom of Christ and we're not, we haven't been transformed, have we answered the call of God through Jesus Christ? I mean, those are hard questions to deal with because I, I, I've, my experience that many times in churches and in church to church, we bite and devour each other. And it's ugly. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that have told me if that's what church is about, you can keep it. If the church hasn't been transformed by the Spirit of God to love Him and to love people, that means that we as individuals have not been transformed by the Spirit of God to love Him and to love people. And what does that say about us? I'm going to let you wrestle with that for a little while. There's a lot more in this chapter that we're going we're gonna to wrestle with in the weeks to come. I just want to let that hang there just for a little while. You have been called to freedom. You have been called to be free in Christ. A freedom that you don't deserve, but it's been given to you. Now stand firm, walk in it. Don't use it. Don't use it just for yourself. Pope John Paul said, freedom is not doing what you want to do. Freedom is doing what you ought to do. I don't want to get all into having to do and should and rules, but it's that, it's that mentality that you have been set free for the good of others through the mercy and the grace of God through Christ. Lord, I want to thank you for for freedom. But God, I pray that you would empower your church to live it the way you've called us to live it, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And that we would be, we would, we would just open ourselves up to the transformation that you so desperately want in each one of our lives. We love you, Lord. I want to thank you for your forgiveness every day, that your mercy is new every morning. And that we don't have to be wallowing in our own guilt. That we can stand with our shoulders back and our head held high. Knowing that Jesus has done the work on the cross for us. Amen.